Good morning, everyone. I've just got a bit of work to do here. I'm going to find the end of the sellotape. No, no, no. We'll be fine. Is anybody here part of the church? Yes. Praise God. I'm in the right place. Now, was anybody here approximately five months ago? You all remember, don't you? And we had a bloke called Charles Smith come and preach about the plumb line. Yeah? It's okay, Evie, it's work. So I'm here to speak again about the plumb line. I'm not quite sure whether it's called like the plumb line revisited or plumb line part two or uh, the return of the plumb line. Um, I'm sure the, the film buffs amongst you can come up with far better ones than I've come up with. Praise God. I'm excited. Do you know in the church, God was speaking to me during the meeting, in the church and in this room, because this room isn't the church, we're the church, in this room today there are people who are on top of the world. They're so full of Christ and excited. But there are also people in this room, through no fault of their own, who are hurting. They've not particularly done anything wrong. It doesn't make them any less a part of the church, but nevertheless, they feel like that. And so we have a duty as the body of Christ and the people of God to not only fellowship with those that are on top of this world, but to also encourage those that are downhearted. It's very easy to judge somebody when they're down and say, get out of it. Sometimes that's appropriate. But most of the time, it's probably not. And we, the church, are those who need to lift each other up at all times. Most of us, if we're honest, realize we're not perfect. I know that to be true in my life. And therefore, be quick to encourage people in all the good things they do and be slow before you correct somebody when actually all they needed was a hug and a bit of an encouragement. So I was here five months ago, so I've had a long time to get ready for this one. And I was saying to Sean just over the last couple of days, I said sometimes you can almost have too long. And so... Forgive me if I go off track on my notes because I think that might be appropriate. I don't want to be held to a script. Um, I want to tell you why this message is important. And it's the message that's important, not me. Why this message is important is it became out of a prophetic word January the 3rd this year when we had a church prayer and fasting gathering. God gave me a word to share from Amos chapter 7. And while some of you may think it's a repetition of what happened last time, I believe it's really important that we don't lose what God is trying to say. I do believe that in us referring to a plumb line, and for those of you who weren't here, I'll explain a little bit more what all that means in a minute. It's not God trying to have a go at us and tell us we're wrong, but I do believe it's God giving us a warning 
that we need to be those who are people of integrity, who pursue righteousness, who are upright in everything that we do, in everything that we do. Not just this building, not just in our life groups, not just in our homes, but in our workplaces. Sometimes in our workplaces, that's some of the hardest places to be upright, to stand up for against decisions that you know to be wrong. But God wants us to be a people like that. He wants us to be a church like that that speaks up for what is right. So I think I said when I was here last time, I don't want people to leave condemned, but I do want people to leave encouraged, but also to know, as the word came, do you not know who I am? Yeah. God is a God that we... We love with a passion, but he's also a God to be in awe of. Um, Let's turn to Amos chapter 7. I'd love to tell you where it was in your Bibles, but I can't. Somewhere in the middle. Amos chapter 7. I'm reading from the NLT. Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sins. So, so we don't get lost here. Let me tell you what a plumb line is. For those of you who can see, this is a homemade plumb line. Essentially, it's a bit of string. It probably used to have a piece of lead on the end. In my case, it's got a padlock. There is some purpose to it being homemade, which I'll explain in a minute. But the point of the plumb line is that when you hang it, it gives an absolutely true vertical line. And if you tra- chase words like righteousness back, you'll get to uprightness. And anybody who knows what upright means knows that that's vertical. Yeah? This is absolutely true. There's no wavering. Well, it is wavering now, but if I didn't keep wobbling this, it wouldn't waver. So when I get to my wallpapering example later, I'll show you why that will be absolutely vertical. God had really stirred me that the plumb line ensures that a wall is vertically straight and true. If the wall was not straight, it would eventually collapse. And God wanted me to stress the importance of the plumb line in our own lives. It's important that any one of us ensures that our lives line up with the word of God in the same way that a wall has to be true to the plumb line in order for it to stay standing. What I'm explaining now is still part of what God spoke back in January, by the way. And God reminded me at that time of how I used a plumb line when I did wallpapering. However hard that may be for many of you to believe, I did. I would do wallpapering myself because I genuinely liked it. 
and also because I couldn't afford to pay someone else to do it for me. God also said at the time that I could pay someone to do the wallpapering for me, but they would have to use their own plumb line or similar to ensure the paper was vertically true. But I could, get them, I could pay them to do it. However, if I want my life to be in line with God, and in line with God's plumb line, I cannot pay someone else to do that for me. I have to do it myself. That's why having a homemade plumb line helps. I did that myself. It's good, isn't it? I panicked last night. Sean said, are you ready? Oh, yeah, sorted. And I was just about to get into bed and went, oh, no. I've forgotten the plumb line. (laughs) Where's the string? We found some string and something heavy, but... uh... (laughs) Finally, God said, you can pay someone, you can pay for someone to do your wallpapering for you, but you can't pay someone to put yourself right with God. To ensure your life lines up with God's word and is a mirror image of Jesus himself, you are the one that has to measure and test yourself against God's plumb line. Now, you'll have noticed that the plumb line can take time to settle into its place, but it does eventually sit completely vertical. It's the same with your own life. You have to be patient in your own life and not be disheartened when you fall short of God's standards on occasions. Don't give up. Be encouraged that you're aware of God's standards in the first place. We as Christians should not go around condemning ourselves. We should go around knowing when we're out of line with God's word, but don't have a pity party for weeks on end. There's a world out there to say. It's a great test of how close you are to God, I believe, as to how quickly you pick yourself up again. Yeah? Yeah? Because if you truly know the Word of God, you know it's wrong to sit around in sackcloth and ashes for weeks on end because you've done something wrong. When you know your purpose in life is to, to be Jesus to every single person that you meet, the last thing you need is for your receptionist at work to say what a miserable so-and-so you are, which happened to me once. She's still friends with me now. And she still comes to see me even though she's retired. And I believe one day she's going to get saved. Do you know why? Because I went out of my way to spend time in her house after she'd left work, going to see her why her husband was ill. I prayed for her husband. Sadly, he didn't get healed but she knows that I was one of the few people that could be bothered to go and see her. And so still now, she keeps in touch with me. That's not me bigging myself up. That's just me saying, we can all be like that. Because if you recognize who's in you, then you have no problem speaking to anybody. You have to fear, you don't have to fear anybody, even the richest person in the world, you don't have to fear to think he or she is better than you or the poorest person on the street, you don't have to fear them either because of who's in you. 
However, one last time I spoke to you about us as individuals, I was very much talking to you about, to, to you, about in, uh, you as individuals. I did that to bring us to today, where I want to highlight the importance of us together as individuals. We are a body. We happen to be individuals, but we're part of a body. And the plumb line in our lives, in our individual lives, is very, very important. But, ironically, I believe it only really gets its test when we're together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, I believe you can be part of this church, and if you just turn up and never really take part or never have any relationships with people, you'll probably never really have any issues, actually. And the irony is, it's only when you get close to somebody that you start to rub edges off people. A good example is in your own marriage, and I'm not here, I'm here here to talk my marriage up. It's wonderful. But because we're best friends, occasionally, we disagree with each other. But because we're best friends, we sort it out. Okay? So in this context... It's really important that we seek to have relationships with as many people as possible. But it's hard sometimes. And it's very easy to avoid those that perhaps you don't think you'll get on with. But the true church is where we live side by side, not in each other's houses and in each other's pockets, but we do rub each other up the right way and occasionally the wrong way, which turns out to be the right way because we needed something sorted out. Yeah? Yeah? So let's be clear what the plumb line is in our lives before I move on. Firstly, it's the Word of God. As we meditate on His Word day and night, we will stay true to His Word and live lives that glorify God. If you read Psalm 1 that was referred to earlier by Sharon, it says in the first three verses, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Secondly, I believe it's the life of Jesus in us by his Holy Spirit. You see, God not only speaks to us through this word, but he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit as well. Sometimes that's other people bringing a word, as people have brought this morning. That word is no less, that word is no less important than what is in the Word of God, providing it lines up with the Word of God. Every day we have the Holy Spirit with us, who helps us, cajoles us, prompts us, encourages us, and stops us, if we choose to listen to Him. In John 14, 15 to 17, it says this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate, sometimes referred to as a comforter, an encourager, or a counselor, who will never leave you. He will never leave you. Hallelujah. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because he isn't looking for it, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and is in you. We've seen in Amos 7 that the plumb line deals with both our past, our present, and our future. It quite clearly says that the wall had been built, 
It says that he was using a plumb line to see, to see if it was still straight. And he also said to Amos, what do you see? Our past, our present, and our future. So I have a question for you. What do you see? Are you sure of your past? By that I mean, do you truly know that God has forgiven you? Yeah? If you're somebody who's visiting today, I'm so pleased you're here. I remember when I went to a meeting 20 plus years ago, wondered what I was walking into, and at the end of it walked out a Christian saying, I don't know what's happened to me, but I feel like painting the town red. (laughs) Are you sure of your past? Are you living life to the full in the present? Are you playing your part? Are you doing everything and using everything that God has given you to glorify him? And are you excited about the future God has for you? Has he given you a word that that isn't yet fully fulfilled? Are you hanging on to something in a good way? You've got a big dream. I'll talk about those a bit later. Don't be afraid to dream big. Don't be afraid to dream big. The God that we worship and love is a big God. I'll come back to those dreams in a minute. If you're living life true to God's plumb line, then you have no need to fear when he asks you to do something unexpected. That's good, isn't it? Zechariah 4.10 says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. You know, this verse tells of a people who were disappointed that the rebuilt temple was going to be smaller than the previous one. But God likes small things just as much as big things. Be those that rejoice in what you are doing. I'll say that again, not because you didn't respond. I'll say it again because it's important. Be those that rejoice in what you are doing. You are doing something. There's probably very few people in this room who are not doing something. So you're all doing something. So rejoice in it. You might feel encouraged, compelled to do more, but don't have a downer on the fact that you're not doing quite as much as you wanted to do. Rejoice in what you are doing. Do it well. Do it to the glory of God. There are times and seasons, as has been spoken about today, where it's right that you don't do as much. And there are other times when it's right that you do more. Um, But that's all about you listening to the Holy Spirit. Be those that rejoice in what you're doing. However small it may seem to you, The Lord rejoices in it. The very action of Zerubbabel having the plumb line in his hand shows that he only wanted to build something that was true to plumb. I have a saying that God gave me a while ago. I have a sneaky feeling he may well have given it to others as well. But as far as I'm concerned, it's mine. (laughs) So if he told you, he told me first. (laughs) But if you like it, you can have it as well because it's not mine really and that is think big act small now before you judge me on that let me explain think big 
act small. Too many people think big dreams and never deliver anything. Jonathan spoke last week and reminded us of the story of Joseph, who was a big dreamer, who after a tricky start pursued righteousness and saw his dreams fulfilled. He thought big dreams and acted small by having the lowliest of jobs as a servant. God rewarded him for his faithfulness by using him to oversee and save a nation. Don't be those that talk big things, think big things. No, I'll rephrase that. I don't mind people who talk think big things, think big things, dream big dreams. But when there's nothing to go with it, that's wrong. If God has told you something, then make a start on it. Act small. That doesn't mean you're a small thinker. It just means you've made a determined effort in your heart to do something about it. Here's some examples that might help you both think big and act small. Have I got any mathematicians in the room? I'm hoping not. Oh, I have. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Test my maths. Assuming, here's a question for you. Assuming there are 500 adults and children in this church, there aren't quite, but let's assume because it makes my maths easy. How many years would it take to see a city of half a million people saved if all those 500 saw one person saved in year one? Which would mean there are 1,000 people at the end. If those 1,000 people saw those 1,000 people, another 1,000 people saved, so that's 2,000 at the end of year two. How many years before a city the size of half a million would be reached by a church of 500 people? I don't expect you to know the answer, by the way, but I'm just making you think. Well, don't correct me now, but I reckon it's 11 years, okay? If it's 10, apologies, but that's how, that's how long. Now, all of you are thinking, that can't be true. Well, you go home and do the maths yourself. Now, that's only a number, but so often we look at things and think, that's impossible. How could we ever, ever do that? Now, the great thing is, we are not the only church in this city, Praise God, there are many, many other good churches and good people who are serving God and looking to see people saved and added to his church. But my point of the illustration is, is that don't be scared by big dreams because something big can happen if you believe the dream and do something about it. So all that requires, if you've heard many people say this before, but I'm just saying, all it requires is that in 2014... That, one, that each of us sees one person saved. And the same the following year. And suddenly, when you go home, if you're, <laughs> if you're like me, you'll go and add it up. It gets quite exciting in years 7, 8, 9, and 10 because it gets very big. Yeah? Praise God. I hope I've enlightened you a bit. Here's some examples to help you. Has anyone studied for exams recently? Anyone overwhelmed by the amount of reading, books, notes, etc., that you have to look at and learn? I was talking to a good friend recently who had helped his daughter to get through GCSEs. And what he did was, is he got all of her books out on a table, spread them all out, 
And they both looked at it and thought, that's a nightmare. How on earth are we going to do that? But then what they did is they looked at the big stuff in front and they started to break it down into little small actions that amounted to something big in the end. They acted small, but they thought big. How many of you have ever tried to lose weight and lose it ASAP? I'm not looking at anybody now. I'm going to read. (laughs) I'm just trying to give you examples to help you. Break it down. Make your target smaller. You'll still get there. It may take you a while longer. Big achievement. Small steps. Bible reading. Here's a good one. Anyone tried to read the whole Bible in three months? No. Some of you may have tried. Stop killing yourselves over a man-made target. You know what you need to do? Learn to love the Word first. Stop worrying about how much time you spend reading and praying. Careful, don't judge me yet. Still meet with him daily, but stop thinking, I've got three chapters I've got to read today. If you get stuck on the first verse for half an hour, praising the Lord, fantastic. Love his word, not any targets you've given yourself. When you fall in love with something or someone, time is never a factor. Now, I'm a bit nervous about mentioning this one now, but here we go. Clive Woodward, the coach whose team won the Rugby World Cup, notice I'm not mentioning the team, in 2003, was asked how he'd made the necessary changes to make a World Cup winning team. His reply was that he found 100 things, each of which he thought he could make 1% better, giving him 100% improvement. Slight paraphrase on my part. He thought big. He acted small. Okay, I hope that helps. But what about us as a people together? I believe Jesus wants us to be together and to work together. So let's look at the word of God so we can be sure of this. You want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm starting in verse 4. To be honest, you could start a lot earlier, but um, if you get time yourselves, please go back and read earlier verses. It's fantastic. Here we go. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They they stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people, 
You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. The plumb line. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see, you on, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. In verse 5, it refers to living stones. You know, the hearers of this would have understood living stones to be the people of Israel. We know the living stones to be us, the church, today. And, and Peter is portraying the church, God's people, as living, as a living, sorry, as living stones. And Peter is portraying the church as a living spiritual house with Christ as the foundation and cornerstone. And each believer, each believer as a living stone. But here's the key. He's emphasizing community, not individuality. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a wall with one stone in it. (laughs) I referred earlier to wallpapering. Now, I know you don't believe me, but I genuinely can do wallpapering. So when you use the plumb line, when it's straight, and you make some marks on the wall, some of you are more sophisticated today and probably use a spirit level or something. There's some fancy machine you can buy. I don't know. But anyway, that's the way I did it. So I get a nice straight line on the wall. I'm not going to bore you with what you do with the wallpaper. But anyway, you get to put the wallpaper up and line it up with this line. That's maybe the relatively easy bit. But it's straight, which is what we need to be. But then comes the next piece of wallpaper. If you want your wallpapering to look good, there must be no gaps between each piece of wallpaper, and there certainly must be no overlapping. (laughs) But the same applies to us in the church. Roger, can I use you as an example? Do you mind? How long have we known each other? 20-ish years. years, Not many people know that, but... Now, the wallpapering example was butting two bits of wallpaper together, wasn't it? And I managed to get them together because I had a straight line in the first place. Yeah. How's the plumb line in your life? Good. Good. Praise God. It's good in mine as well. Good. Is there anything between us? There's a gap between us. Is there? There's a gap. But do you have a problem with me and anything? No. No. Me neither with you. No, nothing at all. No, no. Absolutely. Okay. Totally. Yeah. It's really important, this. You can be in this room today and never deal with the issue that you have with somebody. That's right. Now, here's, here's the rub as well for people who aspire to leadership or are in leadership. I believe it gets harder. Because... You're drawing closer to him. You're making tough decisions sometimes. And do you know what? 
Not every time do people agree with what you say. It's a surprise, that, to all of you, I know. But the important thing, and, and, and leaders should be the example, That's and right. therefore they should be the people dealing with these things, That's and I right. believe they are. Yeah? But therefore there should never be any gaps. That's right. No gap at all. Praise God. Now, if I can, I'm going completely off track here, off my notes, which is a good thing. In a wall, when you build a wall, an, an old-fashioned wall, there are rocks and boulders in it, aren't they? They're all different sizes. Mm. Do we look the same sort of size? No. We've got similar hairstyle. <laughs> we look, we go like that. <laughs> You're so generous. <laughs> um, but God puts all different sizes and shapes together, yeah? Because the Holy Spirit's at work. That's right. Amen? Okay, thank you. What was it? You know, there are no gaps, or there should be no gaps, when the plumb line in your life, in my life, is as it should be. When you're true to the Word of God, remember what I said at the beginning, don't condemn yourselves now, yeah? When you're true to the Word of God, then there's nothing between us. Do you know what else? There doesn't need to be overlapping either. You never need to feel like you're treading on somebody else's toes that you're doing somebody else's job. God has a part for each of us to play. James James Topless spoke um, just a couple of weeks ago and said that we should encourage individual effort, but not individualism. One stone, thankfully, does not equal a wall. One part of the body is useless without the rest. You know, a wall needs lots of stones to be a proper wall. We may live in an individualistic, independent society, but we are part of an interdependent group of people. It's called the church. The church, not this room. If you think you don't need others, I have a message for you. It's time to grow up. Give yourself to others, and you'll find your independent nature leaving you as you allow the Holy Spirit to act as the mortar between you and your fellow living stones. I have a very old wall in my garden that probably took a long, long time to build. It's still standing today, although some of the stones and rocks need repairing and the mortar refilling. The church is the same. It's still very much standing today, full of living stones. Occasionally, some of those living stones become tired and weary and need repairing. Occasionally, those living stones make mistakes and relationships need mending. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is more than able with a cooperative people to make this happen. And you know the great thing about the wall with living stones in it? It is different to the one in my garden because every day new living stones are being added. When we work together, we can be a beautiful spiritual house. So we are living stones in a spiritual house, but we're also those that build together, as can be seen from the book of Nehemiah. In that story, everyone got involved, sorry, everyone who got involved helped with the rebuilding of the walls. They did not see their bit as any more important than the other. 
They responded to leadership, took responsibility by helping others, and used their initiative to get the job done. There were some, as James Toplis mentioned, called the noblemen of Tokoa, who did not take part. They were lazy and wouldn't help. Do you know I suspect they had an issue with authority? And they thought they were too good for the work. If you're not taking part in the life of all nations church, it may be for none of the reasons that the noblemen of Tokoa had. But you've chosen to remove yourself from the life of the church. Or something has changed with these circumstances. Whatever it is, make a decision today to play your part again. God wants a living stone that's not hurt, that's not removed themselves. The church needs you. If you're unsure about playing your part, there are some verses in the book of Acts that I hope will inspire you to be playing your part together. Acts 1.14 says this, They all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2.1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. I know that was a physical place, but I like to see it as more than that. They were all together. It wasn't just about a room they were in. They were all together, really together. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Acts 4.24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And Acts 5.12, all the believers met together. I just have two more things to say. I was telling Jonathan and Andrew before, I believe God reminded me of a word that was brought here a few weeks ago and I couldn't work out where to put it I kept writing it into my notes and it wouldn't go anywhere and, but I just feel really stirred so bear with me, I want to try because I believe God wants you to hear this um, can we turn to Genesis 13 remember we're still talking about the plumb line we're still talking about being an upright people who are pursuing righteousness A few months ago, a man, came, a man called Mick Walford came to speak here in this church. And he, amongst many things, told the story of Abraham and Lot and the journey that they went on. And obviously, I don't have time to do justice to everything that he said, but there was a phrase that he used, which was when Lot went to camp near Sodom. And I want to bring us back to that because I believe as a church it's important for us to hear it. So we're going to start from verse 10. But just to tell you what happened before, Abraham and Lot had large flocks and herds. They'd become very wealthy and prosperous. And they'd been on a journey and they got to a place where their herdsmen were arguing. Forgive me, this is a very quick paraphrase. And uh, Abraham and Lot decided that it was time for them to separate and go their different ways. So with that in mind, verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abraham. So Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Lot made a choice. He didn't have to make this choice. Lot, on the face of it, saw a land that was fertile, that was good, but Sodom was also located in the land that he chose. He would have been well aware of what Sodom stood for. And for those of you who are not aware of that, I guess the simplest way of explaining that today is if we refer to it today, it would be a place of wickedness. Everything that was evil that you could think of was in a place called Sodom. But you see, Lot made a choice. You can well argue that his choice was selfish. He didn't offer Abraham the first choice. But what he did do was he chose the land and Sodom was in it, and he knew it was there. And then he chose to go and camp near Sodom. If we want to be upright, vertically straight, with the plumb line true in our lives, we cannot afford to go to camp anywhere near Sodom at all. Well, what, what does that mean, Charles? You know, that, that's, that's the genesis. What does it mean today? Because the irony is we're called to reach out to the people of Sodom. Yeah? We're called to reach the people of Sodom. So here's what I believe God's saying. We mustn't be those that camp near Sodom. You cannot afford to have any area in your life that's even remotely close to being described as wickedness or evil. This morning, Jez Davey and others have gone to the prison, gone to reach out to people, and he's seeing people saved. I'm not describing the prison as Sodom, but there's people in there who've done things wrong. But they need Christ just as much as anybody does. He's gone into a controlled environment, preached the gospel, and he's seeing people give their lives to the Lord. Fantastic. I'm waiting for the text to tell me what's happened today. So I guess it's a warning from the Lord. Again, don't be fearful. Just be wary. Don't make a decision and then suddenly realize that you've chosen something that means you're camping near Sodom. That could be a job that you're given that on paper, financially amazing. Yeah? But God's not really told you to go. Make God choices, not wrong choices. Okay. Here's five practical things to finish with. Keep smiling. These are things you should say and do as we serve him together. Okay, here we go. Encourage each other to do the following things. One, pursue righteousness. As Jonathan spoke last week, be a slave to it. It's in Romans 6.18. 
Encourage each other to love the Word of God. Let it be written on your heart. If you want to hear a great message about the Word of God, go and listen to James Aubrey's message from a few weeks ago. It's fantastic. Encourage each other to use everything God has given you. Play your part. Never look and think, I don't have very much to do. Yes, you do. Your part's really important. Encourage each other to meet together often and with passionate purpose. And finally, encourage each other to be Jesus wherever you go to whomever you come into contact with. Amen. I'm not going to sing this song because I promised my wife I wouldn't. No, 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 because I knew you'd say that if I said that. <laughs> so I don't know why I said it in the first place because I knew that was going to happen. But. I love my wife dearly and she's, what she's great at, amongst many things, is simplifying things. It's a song. The only thing she was worried about is this is an old song. She said, people might work out how old I am. <laughs> In fact, I've never told you this story before, but I will. I don't think I have. I went into one of my shops recently, well, quite some time ago, and a very nice Chinese lady in there, and I was chatting away to her. I'd not met her before, and I said, oh, how long have you been here? And she looked at me and said, I can't tell you that. I'm thinking, I ask that question every time I go and see some of my staff. And... She said, I can't tell you. I said, why can't you tell me? She said, because if I tell you how long I've been here, those two young ones over there will know how old I am. <laughs> so, here's how the song goes. For I'm building a people of power, and I'm making a people of praise that will move through this land by my spirit and will glorify my precious name. Build your church, Lord. Make us strong, Lord. Join our hearts, Lord through your Son. Make us one, Lord, in your body, in the kingdom of your Son. Church, we are the people that should be able to go up to somebody today, as I did with Roger, and say, how's the plumb line in your life, Roger? Yeah, Yeah, you can do that today. But we're a people who are to encourage inwardly and go outwardly. Yeah. Yeah? Wherever you go this week, even if maybe you think the plumb line is not absolutely right in your life, that doesn't stop you being Jesus wherever you go. It's amazing who God managed to use to do some amazing things, and that's still the same today. Go and do, like the testimony was earlier, I sat next to somebody on a bench, and eventually I plucked up the courage to pray for them after they told me their back was hurting for a long time. And then the testimony comes back. She was healed. Praise God. That can happen to each and every one of us this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're so good to us. Lord, I thank you that your word is an encouragement to us. Lord, I pray that we leave this place today. We go away knowing that you're with us, you're for us, that we're part of a church that is full of living stones. Lord, give us the sensitivity to encourage those who need encouragement, Lord, to love those who right now need one big hug, Lord, just to send them on their way. And Father, I pray in your name, Lord, we'd have an amazing week this week. Amen. Amen. Amen.